Hey everyone, I'm Steve Harrison joining you again for WFAE's Inside Politics podcast, Election 2022. We're going to discuss the U.S. Senate election. While Sherry Beasley is poised to be the Democratic nominee in November, there's a battle on the Republican side between Congressman Ted Budd and former Governor Pat McCrory. We'll focus on that race and look ahead to the general election. Of course, now the topic of abortion rights is part of the campaign conversation after that leaked draft of a Supreme Court decision that would overturn Roe versus Wade. We have two guests today. First up today is Dallas Woodhouse. He's the former executive director of the state Republican Party, who until just recently was the political analyst for the conservative publication, Carolina Journal. And Jessica Taylor, she's a Senate analyst for the Cook Political Report. Joining us as always are former Charlotte Observer reporters, Jim Morrill and Tim Funk. Hey guys. Hey. hey. So uh, first up is Dallas Woodhouse. He's the former executive director of the state Republican Party. What do you guys want to hear? There's a big undecided uh, vote still in that uh, Republican primary. I mean, 30 plus percent. Um, does that mean McCrory has a chance? I would think all those people already know who he is and they're still not for him, but at least it holds out some hope. I think he said he would go after those people. What's Dallas think of that? Yeah, I'd like to know a couple things. One is uh, why Governor McCrory hasn't really caught fire with Republicans. And um, also, how easy or how hard is it going to be to reunite the Republican Party after the primary? It's been a very uh, divisive primary so far. Uh, not only McCrory, but the other two major Republican candidates, Mark Walker and Marjorie Eastman, are both ganging up on Ted Budd. And uh, everybody's running, running ads, it seems, against everybody else. So. You know, and there's a lot of money being uh, used in the race. And, uh, you know, it seems like uh, the party's going to be divided after it. So I'd like to see what he thinks. There's also a difference in uh, where McCrory and Bud stand on abortion. And given that being in the news again, um, I think McCrory said he would be for some exceptions like rape or incest or the uh, life of the mother. I'm not sure... Uh, Ted Budd would go there, and I wonder how that would play out in a primary and, of course, later in a general. All right. Well, let's get to it. So joining us now is Dallas Woodhouse, the former executive director of the state Republican Party. Dallas, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, great to be with you. So, Dallas, I want to start, of course, with the with the Republican primary for Senate uh, polls are showing Ted Budd consistently ahead of Pat McCrory. We've got a week to go. Uh, can McCrory close the gap? And, and if so, how? Can you make this up? I think it's going to be very difficult. Um, McCrory will have some advantage. He still has higher name ID and it's a long ballot. But the club for gross spending against McCrory has been massive. Um, I've never seen in North Carolina, I think, of a, of a statewide race where, you know, one independent expenditure organization, quite frankly, is going to end up being the determinative thing in this Senate race. Uh, obviously, the president's endorsement was very important for, for Mr. Bud, but the money that came with that, because Club for Growth has been very attached to the president, although they have, you know, they have opposed him. They did, a, you know, the Club for Growth supported a different candidate in Ohio. Um, so to me, that's been the determinant factor. I think you have to credit Ted Budd, I think, you know, maybe behind the scenes. Um, I, I would think of sort of convincing maybe more of the establishment part of the party that they can do business with him, that he'll be a, 
you know, a solid Republican. And while he appreciates the president's support, he's not bought and paid for by him, so to speak. So you guys at the, at the John Locke Foundation did polling in January, I think. And you said at that point the race was kind of close or about even? The race was close. I think we actually had McCrory up. But what's interesting is it, even as long as I've been in this business, when you start talking about million-dollar TV ads and everything, you know, it, it's kind of hard to conceptualize. You know, Comfort Growth had spent about $4 million, you know, from last summer through the end of the year. On average, probably less than a million a month. But then in the beginning of March, they started spending about a million a week. And McCrory had no ability to match that. You know, it's why you see polls that show McCrory would lose to Sheree Beasley right now. And the reason you're seeing that is all the negative ads have been gone to McCrory. I don't believe that would be true in the fall because in the by the fall, there would be more people saying nice things about McCrory and there would be people saying negative things about this Miss Beasley. And I think, you know, due to the environment, I think Republicans are are, are favored to win this year. But it but it but it's a good measure of the toll that the negative advertising has taken on Mr. McCrory. That's interesting. Yeah, because the polls, the, the, a lot of the surveys have shown a pretty big gap. In the head, like I think there was one Emerson poll had Bud for Bud 50, Beasley 43. And that same poll had Beasley beating McCrory at that point, 43 to 31. So you think that was just club for growth has, has yeah, I mean, that, crushed I, I mean, the former governor. In effect, the only person that has had much negative lead put on is McCrory. McCrory's launched a couple spots against Ted Bud, but they have not had near the kind of money that has been. I mean, he has been pounded. So uh, Ted Budd skipped every debate. Looks like a fine strategy will not hurt him. But were you personally surprised he maybe skipped one, skipped the first? There was the one I think back. Well, he skipped us. You know, we had the lock bait. So it is interesting. I have not yet written a column, but I'm probably going to write about it that the debates are dead. And I don't think it's just Ted Budd. I think very few people watch the debates but they are informative. More people read about them from what I have seen across the country. It has become, you know, fewer and fewer people who are the front runners are, are taking part of them. I mean, the way they now make news is some people will read an article the day after about sort of the debate in general, but you know, what wasn't, wasn't it a, a debate that um, Terry McAuliffe said what he said about parents not being That's involved right. in education yeah. and it destroyed his candidacy. You can get, you know, one bad clip on social media. So um, it'll be interesting to see if, if Bud is the nominee, if there are any debates this fall. If there are, I can assure you there won't be many. And, you know, there's not a lot of indication that, I mean, we journalists and people certainly care. <laughs> I'm not sure there's a lot of evidence that the, that the voters care. Because there's been, uh-huh. a, I mean, just from my time reporting, there's been a shift away Um I mean, it's among all candidates, but especially Republican candidates, just kind of a lack of engagement with, you know, has been called mainstream media, corporate media, whatever, where there's just a feeling like we can win. We don't have to talk. We don't have to do the typical interview. And now we don't have to do debates. Um, I feel like that's kind of been in place, kind of moving that way for about 10 years. Yeah. And I don't know. I think social media has had a role in that. And it's interesting, you know, people sort of, you know, I wonder what the Trump effect on that is. And I don't know, because, you know, Trump obviously used social media so effectively. 
Sometimes he used it ineffectively. But, of course, Trump did a lot of interviews, too. But, I mean, you can't compare any of these things to the president. I think if you're the Republican nominee, your attitude is raise money, run TV ads, try not to mess up. So let's uh, let's shift to uh, to abortion. That was kind of a wild card introduced last week. Ted Budd has basically taken a very um, hardline pro-life stance. No exceptions uh, for rape or, inc- rape or incest. Pat McCrory has allowed those. Does this matter at all in the primary and then the, the follow up to that in the general election? Can this can this move voters a few points? So I sat there and I thought about this because I thought you might ask this question in 20 years of doing this business, this is not a topic that I have worked right. I've mostly been on the free market economic side, school choice, you know, as far as legislation. When I was at the party, the only legislation I ever worked on was stuff that affected voting. My take on primary itself, irrespective of this issue, is we're starting to get to the period where it's kind of baked in, that nothing, no singular thing is likely to change anybody's mind. I've had two sort of thoughts on this. One is, you know, I think it probably will motivate some young, single, left-leaning people who may not have voted in a primary to vote that wouldn't have voted. But I don't think it will. I'm not sure that's going to make a positive difference. I mean, the fact is the country is very conflicted and and, and each individual person has conflicting views. A lot of people don't even know what it means to reverse road. They're uncomfortable with that. They're also uncomfortable with second term abortions. And, and so, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any political score, you know, for either side. I actually think the political impact in North Carolina, you know, is going to be what happens if Republicans get a supermajority. I, I, I think another thing that, you know, is going to make conservatives uncomfortable is, you know, South Carolina, I think, may adopt a, a, an enormously restrictive set of policies. I think the same thing in Tennessee. So all of a sudden, North Carolina may become, you know, a magnet to perform more of these procedures. And I think that's going to make conservatives uncomfortable. You know, obviously, if they're in charge. It's probably good for Republicans that they don't have to sort that out among themselves today or before this election. Next, we'll hear from Jessica Taylor. She's a Senate analyst for the Cook Political Report in Washington, and she's got a 30,000-foot view of Senate elections across the country. She's labeled North Carolina's U.S. Senate race as leaning Republican after first calling it a toss-up. Hey, Jessica, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Um, Let's start with the recent Senate election in Ohio. Uh, J.D. Vance, who was endorsed by former President Trump, won that Republican primary. What do those results tell you, if anything, about what we might expect in North Carolina? Well, I think it just shows us that the power of Trump's endorsement is still very salient. And really, J.D. Vance was very much dead in the water until Trump decided to come in there and and endorse him. I mean, he was in third place and, you know, he was a never Trumper back in 2016. So he had a lot of unflattering things that he said about the president. I think it shows that you can kind of repent and, you know, he certainly tried to twist himself into the most MAGA candidate possible. And that worked in that instance. But, you know, this also was a very divided race. And even if another candidate had won, the race was all about talking about Trump and trying to get his endorsement. We're seeing that everywhere else in Pennsylvania. The Republican primary is that way, too. And it just shows that he is driving that really, you know, because in Ohio, there was only one candidate that wasn't explicitly seeking Trump's endorsement. So what it tells me is that 
you know, North Carolina, it's more of a one-on-one race, but we have clearly seen polling really change over the past few months, really favoring Bud, who of course has probably the best thing that has helped him is the millions of dollars that the Club for Growth has spent just completely excoriating Pat McCrory. And, you know, he's struggled to have money to respond. There's really no group that's gone up to sort of help him. And I mean, just from where McCrory started, given his name ID in the state and everything, it's really been a precipitous drop to watch. Are you surprised in a way that he hasn't caught fire? I am a little bit, but, you know, this is the first time that McCrory is sort of running in that, you know, full Trump landscape. He was not a Trumpy type candidate necessarily, you know, when he was mayor of Charlotte and went on to be governor. He didn't have to run in that sort of era of Trump. And, you know, notably so, he lost in 2016 very narrowly when Trump also carried the state. Um, you know, we've heard rumors for years, of course, you know, it certainly doesn't seem like the pre- former president was any real fan of McCrory. He doesn't like losers, quote unquote. So he's going to point to the fact that, look, I won while you lost. Um you know, McCrory is is of a different sort of block of the party, a different sort of generation in a way of the party. But I mean, it's not like McCrory is necessarily like incredibly liberal. He's not. I mean, he had HB2 when he was governor and different things. I mean, he's not, you know, a very liberal. So I think it just shows that in today's Republican Party, you've sort of got to pay homage to to Trump. And Trump is still what's driving these Republican primaries. This is Tim Funk, Jessica. Uh- There are polls in North Carolina that say there's still a big undecided vote in that Republican primary uh, for the U.S. Senate. Is there any hope for McCrory? I mean, he said he's going to go after those undecided voters. Presumably, they all know who he is and they're still not for him. But uh, are they a factor in this? Yeah, that's the thing that gives me pause is when you have someone that has been a former statewide elected official, if you're not getting those voters on the first try, it's hard to persuade them your way, whereas they may be learning more about Ted Budd. I mean, I think it's just unclear what what do the undecided voters look like, because, you know, certainly there has been polling showing that once people learn about Trump's endorsement for Bud, more people move to him. Is that sort of what they're waiting for? You know, I think sometimes those of us in politics that cover this are in a bubble, but maybe if you're not a particularly engaged person, you don't know who's endorsed who or so. Yeah, anything can happen. But remember, too, if both of them cross 30, they get to go to a runoff. So, you know, we're seeing Bud at that number. So McCrory's got to get more support to jump to that. I mean, you know, there are other candidates in the race, of course, but I think someone like Mark Walker is probably pulling more from the Bud constituency. So, you know, some of his voters decide otherwise. Nothing's for certain until voters go vote. So when you say leaning Republican, does that basically mean leaning Bud? That is to say, if Bud is not somehow, if lightning strikes and McCrory is the nominee, uh, how would he do uh, in, in the fall compared to Bud, you think? Yeah. I mean, when we made this move, I think it was sort of anybody's race still. We had certainly seen McCrory's numbers drop since he first got in. But I really think that just with the environment this year, that was sort of what precipitated this move. And when I looked at sort of other races around the country, I just don't think North Carolina is any longer in, you know, the same category as a Georgia, an Arizona, a Pennsylvania, perhaps even. And Listen, an open seat always gives people an opportunity. And on the Democratic side, I think that Sherry Beasley is a, on paper, she's a great candidate. 
Um, you know, there's no African-American women in the Senate right now, of course, since Kamala Harris became vice president. And she's run statewide before, you know, lost very narrowly, but she did better than, than Biden in the state. Um, I mean, she's certainly a better candidate than Cal Cunningham at this point, but that bar is not very high. <laughs> and, um, but just this environment is what we are seeing. You know, when I first made my rating of toss up in that instance, it looked like Democrats could be in a better position. You know, this was where Biden was still riding high in his in a sort of honeymoon period and different things too. But when you just see his numbers crater in a state and in a state that he did not win. So, you know, they're just fighting, Democrats are fighting to just hold on in states that Biden did win in places like, you know, Nevada, New Hampshire. So I think when, when Democrats have got to look at it, they, they sort of have to triage eventually. And I think it comes down to protecting their incumbents in states first. And, you know, if there is a place to flip a seat from Republican to Democrat, I think, you know, the open seat in Pennsylvania is, is the more competitive one. Jessica, let me ask you about the political bombshell that fell uh, recently with the leaked Supreme Court opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade and put abortion back on the agenda. It seems like that raises the stakes for Senate elections here and across the country. You've got North Carolina, as we said, as a lean Republican. Could this whole thing change that? Can it motivate the Democratic base? Absolutely, because Republicans, frankly, have done a better job of animating their base over the abortion issue and that and really taking Supreme Court appointments more seriously, which is how you got, you know, these three court appointments of Trump's that are, if this draft stands and if, you know, the, his three justices, um, you know, Kavanaugh. Uh, Gorsuch and Barrett would would vote with Alito's decision and overturn it and send it back to the states. But because it would be sent back to the states, I think it would matter more in governor's races, really, that, you know, senators, they can hold a vote. The Democrats have said they're going to hold a vote to sort of codify it, but that's that's not going to pass. I think is it an issue that they were going to want candidates to talk about. Yes. But when it comes down to action, you know, that is more of a, you know, governor versus state legislature role. And of course, since there's no governor's election this year in North Carolina, and of course, um, Cooper did win in 2020. So him being there is important for people he's already talked about, you know, sort of protecting that right versus the Republican legislature. Tim Funk again. You have a woman in the North Carolina Senate race. And in the wake of the Roe News, do you think that would help the Democrats at all or maybe let them or give them an easier time in pushing their message that the Republicans are an extremist radical party, which I expect they're already gearing up? I mean, and of course, Bud's pretty hard line on abortion, which yeah. I wonder how that'll play with young people and suburban voters here yeah. in North Carolina. Listen, is it an issue that Republicans are really eager to talk about? I don't think so, because they have so many other issues to talk, that are going their way. You know, I still see the top issues as the economy and inflation, supply shortages, inflation especially. That way I just it's very hard to see those economic indicators turning around uh, crime, um, immigration. We just haven't seen it necessarily be like the deciding factor necessarily in a while. But we've also never faced, you know, the rollback of this almost 50 years after the, you know, after the decision. So we are kind of in uncharted territory. And yes, I fully expect Beasley to talk about it, especially being a woman. I would think if it's her and Bud, those debates could get really, really interesting on the topic, because the reality is the vast majority of Americans and certainly, you know, some polling I've seen in North Carolina shows that voters are somewhere in the middle that they want, you know, maybe some restrictions 
So Republicans are going to paint Democrats extreme. Democrats are going to paint Republicans as extreme. How much that goes to voters, the sort of where the nuance is, is something that kind of sometimes get lost in campaigns. Uh, could this be an issue in, in suburbia around places around Charlotte, places around Raleigh? It absolutely could. I mean, because that's where sort of Biden has been doing weaker, we think, in his approval ratings. You know, these voters that did not like Trump, um, again, I think especially college educated white women, which there are plenty of those in you know, the Raleigh Durham area and around Charlotte. And, you know, maybe if they were thinking of voting Republican, maybe this gives them pause. But I mean, there's a lot of other factors that we have to consider, too, because it's not a monolithic monolithic issue. Um, it could play more with lower income women, too, because that's probably going to affect them more. But then, you know, if you have Hispanic voters, sometimes Hispanic voters, particularly Catholics, which who Republicans are doing better with, by the way, they're often more culturally conservative. So you know, this is not, you know, again, abortion is such a nuanced issue. And unfortunately, in politics, the message that I think that comes through is you're either for it or against it. And that middle is sometimes hard to rectify. And I mean, we certainly are if this decision, if this draft stands, if the final decision stands. But I think campaigns were girding for this because, you know, we're expecting it to come out sort of the last week in June. And when the big court decisions typically do come down, um, I think the big surprise this week was the leak more than anything, because that's just unheard of, really, in this sort of secrecy of the Supreme Court. And but if you were, had listened to the oral arguments back in December, it was pretty clear reading the tea leaves where the justices were headed on this. Hey, Jessica, one final thing, and we appreciate your time. Um the primary here, as we've talked about, has been very heated, just like in Ohio. How hard do you think it will be for Republicans here and any place else to come together after the primary in November? It's very clear that Pat McCrory does not like Ted Budd. I think some of these wounds can be hard to heal, but you know maybe they come together and sing Kumbaya in this name of um, you know saving the Senate. But I know there are certainly concerns when you look at the electorate in North Carolina and sort of the growing, you know, unaffiliated block that that could be hard for someone like Bud to win over. Um, will the year just carry Bud across? That's what I, you know, to me, it comes down to climate versus candidate in, in a lot of these places. Was J.D. Vance the best candidate to win in Ohio? Probably not, actually. Uh, now, North Carolina is more favorable. But again, when I look at the environment, I think we just have seen that supersede in that we increasingly see Senate races um, are fall in line with the most recent presidential results. And that's just, I think our voting elections are becoming more parliamentary. So I think it boils down to, even if you may not be crazy about Ted Budd, do you want, you know, sort of two more years of, you know, uh, Democrats fully in power, or are you going to view this as a vote of, I want Republicans to be in power in the Senate? Jessica Taylor, uh, Senate Analyst for the Cook Political Report. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So that was Jessica Taylor from the Cook Political Report talking about this upcoming primary and looking ahead to the fall. What would you guys think? I thought it was interesting. We were talking about the uh, possible or likely overturning of Roe v. Wade and what difference that might make. I think she seemed to say that, uh, you know, it's still... Uh, Democrats still have the headwinds of Joe Biden and the economy that they're facing. And uh, people are still going to vote on the basis of, 
you know, the economy and, and, uh, and inflation, you know, that might trump uh, Roe v. Wade concerns. I thought Jessica, she, when she looked ahead to the general election talking about Sherry Beasley, she mentioned Sherry Beasley, a candidate strong on paper. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a term you hear a lot. And, and I yeah. thought it was interesting. Just recently, the Charlotte Observer came out with its endorsements for the primaries. And they wrote about Sherry Beasley, and it was kind of one of the biggest thanks but no thanks endorsements. I mean, they were really harsh on her campaign style, saying she's struggling to articulate a vision. And so I think that's going to come up more, you know, as we move into the summer and the fall, I think that's going to be something that a lot of Democrats and national analysts and campaign contributors, excuse me, are going to see and have to think about. I think she's right. It's clearly a tough year for Democrats because of the economy. But, you know, the time between now and November in politics is an eternity. We saw with the Roe v. Wade release, the draft, and the Fed uh, raised interest rates. So things can change. and, and, And I think Beasley may be getting her voice on this Roe issue, but she's got a lot to prove. And she's I think she still seems to be running for a a court seat in terms of her energy level. And some of her ads are nice, but they're not memorable or or tough. You know, I think the Roe issue could galvanize uh, Democrats and and some independent voters, uh, maybe in a way that she cannot do. All right. And so as for Dallas Woodhouse, the former executive director of the state Republican Party, I should say we did this interview over Zoom. At the start of the interview, Dallas had a cigar in his mouth, which, as we know, of having covered him is somewhat of a trademark of his. I thought it was interesting that he seemed to really kind of put the credit for Pat McCrory falling behind all on Club for Growth's money rather than the Trump endorsement. Obviously, the Club for Growth money had a lot to do with it. I'm not sure... I think maybe he might have underplayed Trump's influence a little bit. I think he underplayed uh, Trump's influence. And it's also um, obviously the Club for Growth money had a lot to has a lot to do with it, too. But, you know, uh, Ted Budd has raked up a lot of endorsements from legislative leaders, Phil Berger and uh, people in the General Assembly. And Pat McCrory has been notable in the absence of endorsements from leading Republicans. So. You know, it's it's Trump, it's a club for growth, but it's also other things, too. I believe in the Ohio Senate primary, uh, the club for growth and Trump backed different horses and Trump's horse won. So uh, Trump should get more credit. You know, I think he he's the reason J.D. Vance won. He may be the reason uh, Dr. Oz wins. And if Ted Budd wins, I think the headline's going to be Trump candidate uh Wins, you know that's true, and and but going into the fall, you're also going to have the the specter of the January sixth committee hearings in the news. So you know that's another factor that could influence how how far Trump's endorsement goes in the fall. Uh, another point that Dallas made that was good was uh you know this whole uh, abortion debate sort of devolves now onto the general assembly races, and it really puts a premium on uh, or raises the stakes on. Legislative races. If Republicans get a supermajority, um, where the governor can no longer use his veto effectively, that gives them a lot more power, and um, they could they could take some action. All right. Well, thanks a lot, everybody. Um, the next time we will meet, it'll be after this primary election. We will be discussing primary results for local, congressional, and of course the Senate race. Don't forget, election day is May seventeenth. For Jim Morrill and Tim Funk, I'm Steve Harrison. Inside Politics, Election 2022 is a production of WFAE. WFAE.